Welcome to the Rapid Change Matters podcast. My name is Howard Cooper, and for over 14 years now, I've been fascinated with helping people to create personal change quickly. But I still come across many who believe that lasting personal change has to take a long time, consisting of reliving traumas or deep psychological analysis, or simply that flawed notion that understanding why you have a problem will somehow make it go away. I'm on a mission to get people who work therapeutically with others to shift their thinking and realize that these beliefs are not written in stone. Rapid change can happen. So, to help you open up to what's possible, I'm interviewing top therapists and agents of change who are out there getting real results with real people really quickly. Before we get to the interview, I just wanted to let you know that I've written a quick-to-read, downloadable PDF on five strategies to amplify your client's response, with some great tips on getting your therapeutic suggestions to really sizzle. You can download this for free from rapidchange.works, where you can also find all the information about this episode and episodes still to come. Now, over to the interview. Today's guest is one of the UK's best-known body language experts. He's not just the author of the book Body Language, it's what you don't say that matters, but he's someone who's literally been called upon hundreds of times by the media to share his insights and reflections on current events and what body language is really giving away. Additionally, his passion for body language led him to study other different but related areas of psychology, including hypnotherapy, EFT, and NLP, and he now uses this blend to facilitate rapid change with clients over a wide range of physical and emotional issues. Welcome to the podcast, Robert Phipps. Good morning. Well, it's, it's absolutely fantastic to have you uh, as part of this rapid change conversation, and really just wanted to dive straight in, if we can, and wondering, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and, and really, how you got started? Um, I'm described by most people as a body language expert, which is a title that's just sort of come about. Um, but my background to getting into body language is that I was caught out lying at an interview and at the end of the interview, I was uh, I had been lying. So it was going over in my head. How did he know I was lying just like that, literally within seconds of me walking in? Um, so I asked him and he said body language. And that meant nothing to me at that time in 1984, um, because there were only a few books available on the subject of body language. And it certainly wasn't in the wider consciousness of society like it is now you know, partly due to people like myself commenting for newspapers and magazines and appearing on TV and giving uh, a breakdown of body language. So from that one interview, um, I was intrigued. I knew I was lying and I went and found a book on the subject and it sort of just became my pet subject. And I was in sales. So I had a playground to test all the theories of these books, which were in their infancy, to say the least. Um, so by trying different things that they were saying, and it gave me uh, feedback, direct feedback, not just through the books, but through my own actions. And how does this affect your therapeutic work that you uh, have gone on? You now work with, with, with clients as well. Uh, in terms of therapy, I mean, it, what it does is it opens up uh, a different dimension of information uh, for therapists. If therapists understand what's going on with a person's body, it can quite often be the complete opposite of what the client is actually telling you because not all clients want to go, you know, down certain pathways or they don't want to tell you the truth. And if you can see that, then you can come back at that point at a, a, you know, a later stage or directly and say things, you know, every time you mention X, I've noticed that you raise your heels up off the ground. Why yeah. do you do that? Um, and what it does is, one, it makes the client aware that you are observing them more than just listening to them. And you are gaining a deeper insight into their emotional states when they mention this or that or whatever, which is usually part of the reason they're there for therapy in the first place. Hmm. 
So is that kind of a very typical thing that you do, which is you would notice something and then you would, and I'm not sure that I like the phrase, call them out on it, but you would draw their attention to it and ask specifically what that's about? Uh, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Sometimes I just notice it and keep it to myself until a later point and I might bring it up or I might not bring it up at all, but I've noticed it and because of my experience, I understand what's going on when they do these things. So I don't necessarily always need to call them out on it. But by calling them out on it, uh, to use that phrase, once you make people aware, even in everyday life, that, you know, you're watching their body language, um, most people, not all, but most people, um, if you like, become a bit more open and a bit more honest with you because they now know that you are watching their body language. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it goes the other way and people <laughs> get the, get the ump because you're, you're, you're now observing them something they didn't know you were observing. Um, <laughs> and if you've, uh, any of the people listening to this have ever heard of Joe Hari's window, they'll know what I'm talking about. Um, it's, there's people give away certain things that they don't necessarily want to give away. And if you call them out, they suddenly realize, Oh, Hmm. Ah, um, I've had it many times. You see people sort of get confused uh, and become either defensive or, in most cases, in therapy terms, completely and open, uh, honestly open with you because they realise they can't hide stuff. So are there patterns of things that you would look for that are typical, regardless of the, the, the person sitting in front of you, that would let you know, for example, that someone wasn't being truthful? Or can it just be dependent on the person? Everyone would have their own individual tells that you would calibrate. Uh, the latter, because every client's different. And the, although there are uh, body language patterns that most people will do most of the time, um, you have to go with those unless you see something else that creeps in there, in which case it's like, oh, why are they doing that? So go further and see what else transpires. But as a general rule, I'm looking at their feet because they give away quite a lot how people shuffle their feet around or raise their heels up off the ground or raise their toes up off the ground or you can see them scrunching their toes inside their shoes Um, Because the feet are the furthest point away from the brain and one of the hardest points of your body to control consciously. Mm -hmm. Um, They give a lot of leakage when people are uncomfortable. Um, You hear people use a lot of body language terms or a lot of uh, phrases and sayings that actually relate back to the body language. Now, people say, oh, you're very grounded or very ungrounded. Well, you can use that in terms of whether people's feet are flat on the floor. If mm-hmm. they start raising their heels up, mm, they're suddenly a little bit ungrounded. So why? Why at that point that they spoke about, you know, X, Y, Z, did they raise their heels off? And next time they mention X, Y, Z, they raise their heels off the ground. So you're, that's just one element. But yeah, that's the feet. Hands, how they talk with their hands, whether they use one hand, both hands, Uh, for emphasis to whatever it is they're saying, their facial expressions, particularly micro expressions, uh, Mm -hmm. especially when you challenge them, that's when you're most likely to see a micro expression of one sort or another. Uh, Micro expressions are 100% accurate. End of story, because they're an unconscious part of body language that unless you learn you can't control. So the emotion goes through the brain, whatever's just been said or done, and the micro expression is there. It's gone within quarter of a second, so they're very, very fleeting, hence the word micro. Um, but they're there, and you can see them. But an awful lot of people miss them. So how did, how did you go about practicing and getting good at spotting this kind of stuff? I mean, if there are people out there that want to master... Uh, body language make better and more careful observations and have meaning behind that what should they be doing several different routes you can go Um, the easiest is sitting in your home recording programs like question time or any other you know political uh, debate where politicians are put on the rack by either an interviewer or a live audience 
and watch it first time round with the sound off. And just make notes of what you think is going on based only on the body language because you haven't got the sound. Then watch it back with the sound up and you'll gauge how accurate you are currently reading people's body language based on what they say once you put the sound back up. The other one is uh, soaps. Pretty much all soap actors overact a little bit. Their facial expressions are held just that little bit longer so that everybody in the, you know, the viewing public can see what they're trying to convey. But they're great programs to, to watch again with the sound off and then watch them again with the sound up. Make your notes, see how close you are. If you're very accurate, then great. You're doing well. You have a natural ability there because everybody, to some degree or other, understands body language um, to a greater or lesser degree. Because you could not get to wherever you are, whether you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s or, you know, beyond. You could not have got to that point in your life without understanding to some level other people's emotional states based on their body language. Um, otherwise, you would literally upset everybody every day of your life until you got to the point where you are now. And that's not most people. You know, no. there are the there are the odd few people like that <laughs> who just don't care. Um, but for most people, they realize when they've made somebody laugh. So they've given them a happy thought or emotion or something funny. They realize when they've upset somebody because their face droops down and tears start dribbling down their face. So you have a choice when you see that stuff. It's going on. You have a choice as to how you handle it, which we'll come to later, I'm sure. So I think I mean I I think that's fascinating I mean, to be able to watch something with the sound off and then see you know what you're picking up from that and then testing it out. Um, I love that. It's something that I, I want to have a go at myself as well. Um, I've heard some stories about you doing something that I used to do a lot of, which is people watch and I would sit in restaurants and coffee shops and hypothesize about oh based on what they look like, how they're moving, how they're interacting, based, you know, what's going on, and I create a backstory for them. But then I've heard a, a, a rumour, Robert, that you would go one step further than that, which I would never do, and you would then go and <laughs> talk to the people and then and then verify and find out how accurate were you, which um, uh, can you verify? Is, is that is that true? Did you do that? I did and still do. Um, not as much now because I think I fairly well nailed it now. Um yeah. But when I first started out, like I said, it was 1984. Um, so we're, what, 33 years on from that. And now body language is everywhere. But what you have to do is you take it back a step from the word, two words body language, which were put together, I think, by Desmond Morris. Um, and that's the term that's become known. It's body language. But if you go back beyond that, it's actually nonverbal communication which takes it just a little bit away from just the body mm. and the physical movement. You mentioned there based on the way somebody is dressed and da 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 da, da. So now you're looking at beyond the physical movements and you're looking at the clothing and the environment plays a part in how people can act. But yeah, I used to watch people and then I would go up to them and say, excuse me, I'm just uh, studying, you know, practicing uh, learning body language. And I've been, I hope you don't mind, you know, say something like that. Um, I've been watching you from over there and I'd just like to give you a brief sort of synopsis of what I think is going on in, uh, in terms of your emotional states. I don't know exactly what you were talking about, but blah, 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 blah. And I'd give them, you know, my two penneth of what I thought they were just talking about um, in terms of their emotional states and how they were going up or down or whatever. Mm. And I'd ask them, am I correct? Was I correct in assuming this, this, this and this? And I'd either get yes or no. Some people would tell me to go away politely. Some not quite so politely. Um, <laughs> but generally, most people, if you explain why you are doing it, why you have been watching them, most people I have found respond positively. I would say probably eight to nine out of ten people respond positively. I mean, obviously, don't if you see a couple in the street arguing, don't walk whilst they're arguing. Excuse me, can I just have a word? Because that's not going to go down to Yeah, I'm su I suspect that he's just split up with you because of, uh, yeah, so you might choose your moments. Exactly. And I, I encourage it in my book, um, which you mentioned very kindly. Mm. It's what you don't say that matters. Um, 
I encourage it. I encourage in the book throughout because I look at it from a situation point of view rather than a body part equals X, Y, Z emotional state. So I encourage you all the way through the book, you know, lift your head up from the book. If you're sitting on a train or in a restaurant or coffee shop or, you know, even in your office or in a car, you know, waiting for somebody, just look around you. Whatever you've just read in that that paragraph, that chapter, look around you. What's where is where's it going on right now? And the beauty with body language is your your tools for learning are there everywhere. You can do it on a train. You can do it on a bus. You can do it standing, a, you know, in a bus queue, waiting in a coffee shop, in a bar, anywhere. There's people. You have your subject material. I think it's really cool to look at it like that. But I also think it must be important, as you say, to take it that step further, which is then to verify your theory or verify your thoughts around it so that you can get the feedback. Yeah, because it's about all body language is one. It always has to be taken in in context to the situation and the environment. And I mentioned environment just a moment ago. That plays a part in how people dress, how people act, how they're allowed to act. You know, people walking into a court building or any sort of place of officialdom, government-wise, there's normally symbols to say, this is a place of authority and don't mess with us. So that will change immediately how most people will behave. Yeah. Um, So the environment plays a part. The clothing people are wearing plays a part because everybody has, you know, pretty much assuming they've done all their washing and ironing, everyone's got a free choice of what they wear every day of the week. And from the moment they walk out the door wearing whatever, they're giving off messages. Now, those messages can be deliberate as to what you want the world to see of you, or they can be completely unconscious and you just sling on whatever. But either way, you're giving off messages. <laughs> well, so it leads me very nicely to, to ask you a question which might appeal to people that are listening in from a, an NLP, a hypnotherapy point of view, um, who are interested in influence, which is this is a lot about, you know, what looking at and deciphering the nonverbal communication of people that you're looking at. But would you say that because you understand that so well, you're able to utilize that information for yourself to to give off or influence people through your nonverbal communication? I have to say yes, but this is an area which my whole life um, <laughs> has been quite a weird experience. Mm-hmm. Lots of weird experiences. I'll give you an example, going way back to when I was about 15. Uh, me and my best friend ended up going to different senior schools. And there was a, uh, I don't know what it was, some sort of do at his school. And I walked into the school to meet my friend. And as we walked into the school hall, um, they started chanting my name. And it was like, whoa, I did not know 99.9% of these people. I knew my friend and his immediate circle of friends. However, a load of other people, and I mean loads of other people, knew stuff about me because of my friend. And whatever my friend had told them was obviously positive because they started chanting my name. And it was quite a weird experience at 14, 15 years old to have people chanting your name who you've never met. Yeah. And I've had experiences like that. The same thing happened when I worked on the Trisha show. It was completely spontaneous. I came out, you know, Trisha had given me my intro to come on stage. And as I came on stage, the whole audience start chanting, Fipsy, Fipsy. And it's like, whoa, it's like deja vu. And I've had experiences in shops, restaurants where people just, either don't charge me for something or give me discounts that I just haven't even asked for. You know, they just offer these things. And it still happens to this day. So I can only say yes. <laughs> but presumably it's not conscious. You're not you're not going, right, if I do this with my left shoulder and this with my right elbow, then it will create this. Ah. But there's something going on that, that's communicating something. Yes, and it was obviously going on way before 1984 when I actually got into the subject. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. Um, so there was something that uh, I used to pick up on and adapt instinctively, naturally, you know, early, from an early point in my life. And the fact that the interview led me to the body language um, was just pure coincidence, if you like. But it explains an awful lot about how I've been perceived by other people my whole life. I, I think that's really interesting. Um, and also to, to reflect upon, which is, you know, like what, what are we all giving off? unconsciously or non-verbally what ideas are we putting in people's heads without even meaning to um as a baseline um so you go for this job interview and they call you out all that time ago as uh, being a liar it piques your interest um would you yep. say now that you could lie um, without now I'm... getting caught do you <laughs> do you have the strategists i'm a terrible liar unless i'm playing poker <laughs> <laughs> That sounds good. Folk is different because I'm busy observing you as opposed to worrying about my body language. Um, and I, I can have the poker face. But, yeah, playing poker. But apart from that, no, I'm absolutely useless at lying. <laughs> Even trying to keep surprises like stum. Yeah. People ask, I, 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 and they, they can tell, yeah, no, I'm not a good liar. <laughs> well, you say that. You sound very believable now. You could be lying. I wouldn't know. I, I can't see you. No, this is true. But if you could have seen me, you'd have seen the way that my eyes interacted <laughs> with my zygomatic muscle in my mouth. And you'd have known I wasn't. Uh, of course, of course. I would have thought the same thing about the zygomatic muscle. Of course, that would have been my first port of call, too. Um, well, exactly. I mean, I think everyone would have jumped to that conclusion. I think that's, that's it. That was it. Rookie, rookie well, this stuff. is it. They would have jumped to that conclusion without knowing that the zygomatic muscle was involved because we understand this stuff to a certain level anyway. You know, without and most people do, without understanding, having read or looked at any body language whatsoever, you know when somebody gives you a sarcastic smile. Yeah. Um, you know when somebody gives you a genuine smile. And you know when somebody gives you a fearful grimace smile. So you're reading this stuff anyway, but you don't necessarily know which muscles are involved. I just happened to be a little bit of a pedant and went and found out what all these things are. And presumably what we're talking about is that, you know, to some degree everyone has, and you've already said it, we're all doing this stuff anyway. We all have intuitions, but instead of you looking at someone and just going, I think they might be lying. Uh, through your study and your expertise, you have a better vocab of being able to explain exactly why it is that you have that intuition. Yes, and that's exactly what I do for most uh, TV programs and that I do. It's a case of, you know, I'll be called into the uh, news studio to talk about a politician mm. or uh, somebody uh, who's found themselves in the news because of a murder. Um, so... I look at the body language and I say, well, they did this, this, this and this. And this means X, Y, Z because their emotional state is giving away X, Y, Z. So I break down what they did and what it means. And then people in most cases go, oh, yeah, it's the, the two words I hear most of all whenever I do training courses or explain people about you know, ABC body language, I hear them go, oh, yeah, because it suddenly makes sense that they've been reading that too. I've just given them labels for it. So in terms of moving to a different track now, uh, I'm talking about some of the therapeutic uh, intervention work stuff that you do. Um, it's, it's a blend, as we said in the intro, of NLP, of hypnosis, of EFT. Yep. And presumably your intuitions about body language obviously support and can only be of massive benefit to you uh, when you're working with, with clients. How do you set up the, the, the client interaction? So someone rings you and says, hey, guess what? I've got an issue that I want sorting out. What, what do you say in terms of managing their expectations about how you're going to work with someone? I tell every client exactly the same thing. I will see you once for about an hour and a half. It might be a little bit shorter. It might be a bit longer, you know, 10 minutes either side, um, but about an hour and a half. 
and I will do as much as I possibly can in that one session to get you back on track or at least have the problem manageable in your mind. I do not book you a second appointment. You will go away after the first appointment and see how you get on. If you didn't like me and we didn't get on and you thought it was a waste of time, you won't call me anyway. If you thought I'm done, I don't need any more help, you will not call me. If you think, oh, I like that, I'm sort of there, but oh, maybe this other issue has come up or maybe just I need a little bit more of that, then you will pick up the phone and call me. I will not see you more than three times for the same problem unless it's moving forward each time. But if I can't deal with something in three appointments, then I'm not going to. Yeah. That's essentially it. <laughs> I, As you can hear, I, it's almost like a pattern that I go through the same every time. Yeah. I, and I, I really like that as, a, as an approach. It's very pragmatic. Uh, well, it's it because, as you said, there's uh, some people that say I'm going to have uh, we'll have 10 session approach or five sessions for whatever it is. Um, I like to tell people I'm going to do as much as I possibly can. And in most cases, get rid of the issue in, in one go. If you've got several issues, then fine. Let's deal with the major one first, because I've also found that once you start dealing with the major thing, a lot of the other things were just, you know, contributory they mm. sort of came out of that one major thing and now all those other things have just disappeared disappeared yeah and i think we've all had the experience haven't we where people aren't always the best at knowing or classifying how many issues they have um i always remember someone contacting me saying i don't think you'll be able to help me certainly not quickly because i have 43 things that are wrong with me and they <laughs> they sent me a list as well of 43 you know listed one to 43 and i went through them and uh uh, we actually only did a couple of sessions uh, because it sorted it out. Why? Because it was really only one thing. They'd just given me 43 examples of where this one thing manifests, you know, but she yeah. saw them as 43 separate things. I see those as symptoms. Hmm. Yeah. So you deal with the cause, which is, like say, usually the one thing, um, and all the other symptoms disappear. So are there other particular areas that you have changed with that you specialize in? Um, no, I've, I've treated literally all sorts from, uh, probably the worst dental phobic you've ever come across in your life. Um, and admittedly, this woman had absolute reason. You know, most people have got a fear of dentists to some extent. They don't like people poking around in their mouth. Um, this particular woman had, I think it was either nine or 11 teeth pulled out without any anesthetic when she was about eight years old, nine years old. Um, by total mistake on the part of the dentists, and this lived with her until she was, oh, I saw her when she was around about 60. Yeah. Um, and combining a different sort of technique, just dealt with it in one session, completely gone, to the point where... About three weeks, four weeks later, I was walking around Wilkinson's and this lady shouts from across the floor, oh, it's you, you done me. And I was like, what the? <laughs> because her face didn't immediately connect. And then she started showing me this mouthful of teeth that she'd had sorted out, literally since that one appointment. Yeah. And um, it was all dealt with, done with. Um, and it led her to being more confident. She was much more outgoing. She'd started going out, doing more socialising, all because she had new teeth. Uh, so in that in that case, you talked about the fact that, you know, she'd had this traumatic stuff happen when she was young. It, mm. Is that something that you often will look at, a, a, a cause? Do you think that we have to change the root of where it came from to facilitate change? Or do you work in a different way? Well, I, I work different with each client. It depends. I mean, if, if you've got something that's as blatant as that, you know, they phone you up and say, well, I've got a problem with dentists and I want to get over it. Um, then, you know, you're dealing with some reason why they don't like dentists or dental yeah. treatment. So that could be, you know, a childhood experience, an adulthood experience. You know, it could be 
no experience. They're just building it up in their own head um, because you see all these things on TV. And let's face it, the environment, which I mentioned a couple of times now, a dentist will change your body language. Yeah. yeah, there was some yeah. research oh, many years ago, and they watched, I think it was 131 people in a dental reception. Um, 122 of them crossed their legs and arms. Nine of them didn't. The nine that didn't weren't having treatment, but were only there for checkups. The 122 were there for treatment. Hmm. So that, <laughs> So the environment there changes things so some people can just build these things up in their head they've never actually had a bad experience but this woman's was immediate it was there that was the experience she wanted to get rid of whereas with some people you know like a confidence issue oh i you know i get you know anxious about doing this or doing that or they all come back to the confidence so that can be several different things that have contributed to their low self-esteem or lack of confidence so you might have to explore just a few of them to find one that you want to tap into that based on, you know, uh, them telling me five little snippets about five different experiences of bash their confidence and only one of them that they raise their heels off the ground. I might go back to that one and start just delving down that and see if they raise their heels off the ground again, because that's giving me a good indicator that out of the five, that's the one that's going to be the, the most, uh, successful in terms of the route because otherwise why are the other four left alone with no raising off of the of, of the feet for example i i really like that uh especially the idea of just seeing a little getting a little glimmer a little hint as to the way in which you use the body language stuff very directly to make and to adjust course when you're in a therapeutic setting i think that's fascinating yes. Are there things that, and we talked about environment having an impact, are there things that people can do to inoculate themselves against the shitty body language and nonverbal communication of others? Uh, yeah, be confident in themselves. Because yeah. if you're going to see a dentist, you know, just let's assume you, you don't have any issues with dentists. Um, <clears throat> if you don't have any issues with dentists, you're just going to carry yourself perfectly normally. So if you do have issues with dentists, try carrying yourself perfectly normally, because if you allow your body to sink and the easiest way to sort of sum it up is all negative body language is downward and inward, mm -hmm. you know, to the point where you want to get fetal and rock in a chair um, and all positive body language is open and upward. You know, you think about people at concerts, they've got their arms in, their air, in the air, big smiles on their face, their chest is open, everything's like, yeah, it's big, it's open. And people, when, they want, when they're confident, take up more space. Act as confidently as you would normally. If not, give yourself a little boost by, you know, making sure that you stand up straight. That can make an awful lot of difference to the way that you breathe. And the more efficiently you breathe, the more oxygen you get to your brain, the more efficiently your brain works. End of story. Um, so stand straight, you know, make sure you've got your shoulders not pulled right back, but comfortably back. So as your chest is open, keep your head angle uh, horizontal or just slightly above horizontal. Um, and that releases endorphins, which make us feel good anyway. The way that you breathe can change how you feel pretty much instantly within, you know, three, four, three, four, five breaths. You can change an emotional state and calm yourself down yep. just by taking, you know, uh, a deep breath into the count of five, hold it at the top for a count of three and then breathe out again to the count of five. Do that three to five times before you go into the dentist and give yourself a bit of self-talk as you're doing it. You'll feel more confident walking through the door. Tell me, and, and just changing tracks again, in the rapid fire round, uh, I asked you, what, what are the biggest misnomers that people have about the work you do? And you sort of focused your response around hypnosis. And I joked with you that what you mean, you don't just zonk people through the floor, is, you know, and get them mm. doing all sorts of stuff. And you, your response was, no, not, not, not really, or not like you're implying which implies that you kind of might zonk them out a little bit in a way that i hadn't implied and i'm just i'm just curious to explore for you what is hypnosis and uh, you know what did you mean by that uh well for me hypnosis is nothing more 
than a state that we go in and out of day in, day out. It's I describe it to clients as in different ways. If you're standing at the kitchen sink washing up, but you're thinking about wandering around Sainsbury's and, oh, you must get Sophie's birthday card and so and so and so and so, that's a trance state. So mm. you're in that state which most people describe a hypnotic experience as trance. So I explained that you go in and out of that state day in, day out. You know, you drive along and you're chatting to your friend and you're singing away and listening to the DJ on the radio and you get to work or wherever, you, you know, your destination is. And you think, oh, I wasn't aware of the last five miles. I must have stopped at traffic lights and da 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 da, da. But you did it on autopilot. So that, again, is another one of those trance states where your brain is on autopilot. So you can do other things. Mm -hmm. And most people think because of what they see on TV of uh, stage hypnosis, most people are at some point right at the beginning sitting in a chair with their head down and their eyes closed and they're being given suggestions by the stage hypnotist. Um, in a lot of therapy sessions that you see on TV, you know, with hypnosis, you see a client laying or sitting in a chair, all relaxed with their eyes closed. Now, physiologically, there is a reason that it's sometimes good to have your eyes closed because uh, information and studies by uh, Wharton University showed that we take in 82% of our information through our eyes so if you imagine your brain is a computer and you've got x amount of processing space in that computer in your brain so if you've got open your browser and you've got ooh, 10 tabs open in your browser and then you've got your email open and you've got skype open each one of those things is using a bit of that processing power so the bit that's left to process anymore is fractionalized. It's smaller depending on how many windows you've got open. Well, the same can be said for the way that your brain works. If you're taking in 82% of your information through your eyes um, and only around about 7% through your ears and only 11% through the other senses, um, then if you close your eyes, all of a sudden you have more processing power back in your brain because you are not bombarded by information. Estimations are that we take in something like 15 million pieces of information per second. Yeah. And we, we delete probably 13, 14 million of it because we don't need it. We only concentrate on the stuff that we need. Um, so by getting people to close their eyes, there is a physiological reason why it is advantageous to that sort of hypnosis, i.e. relaxing with your eyes closed. The way that I do most of my hypnosis, sometimes I will zonk people out because that's what they expect and that's what they want. Mm -hmm. um, I will only ever do that as a sort of 10-minute thing at the end of the hour or so session that we've already had where they've been, as far as they're aware, consciously, wide awake, chatting away to this bloke who's helping them. Yeah. Um, but within that, hour or so session i've had them going in and out of trance in the same way that they would be stood at the kitchen sink washing up or driving somewhere and not being aware that they're in that state um and you can see it in clients um once you get them to that point you will quite often see in the facial expressions it just they just relax the mm. muscle tone changes and they suddenly go into a thousand yard stare where it's all going on behind the eyes. The eyes are just defocused and they're off in the distance. Even if they're looking at you, they're not looking at you. And yep. in a lot of cases, I just sit there silent as they process that information. And then in, in some cases, not all, I use anchoring techniques to then anchor what I've just seen them experience because you can see the change because once they come out of that state, there's usually a smile that just appears as they processed it and dealt with it on their own level. I don't know what they've done in their brain, and that's the point. No therapist knows what's going on in somebody else's brain. So you have to do the best that you can 
by seeing the non-verbal cues as to what has just taken place. The same as if you're looking at somebody raising their heels or toes off the floor, that's giving you a negative. You know, generally when most people smile of their own accord, something's gone on that's given them a nice feeling. Mm. If that all makes sense, Howard. <laughs> it, it absolutely does, and I'm always fascinated to hear, as you know, about the way the, the ways in which different people approach um, change, and the way in which they frame hypnosis is always fascinating to me, especially as there are so many misnomers, I believe, around hypnosis, and so many discussions, even amongst leading peers, around well, what is this thing that we refer to as hypnosis? And yeah. which is funny because I often think, you know, if if even the leading peers who are chatting around it. Uh, can't always agree exactly on what it is. Um, how can people that have never studied it, thought about it, really, how are they supposed to understand what it is? And it, it, to me, it makes sense that people would come with some misunderstandings about what it could be. Well, let's face it, science can't explain it, let alone, you know, peers and higher people that have studied the subject for years. It, science can't put an explanation to it. It's just so great to hear different ways in which people frame what hypnosis is to, to clients, you know. And I, I, I like the fact as well that there is a, a formal sense of, of hypnosis that happens often at the end of a session. One of the things that I, I will do uh, quite often to demonstrate that somebody is in a state where they're not in control, I am. Um, I will just say to them, give me your hand or give me your arm. Hmm. So by that, it's a direct instruction. Give me your arm hand. And they normally volunteer an arm. And at that point, I will pick it up with my finger underneath the, the wrist, and I will just lift it away from where they've put it. So I'm taking it away from you know their comfort zone, and I'm moving it somewhere that I want to put it. Mm -hmm. And as I do that, with so I'd normally do that with my left hand so my finger two fingers are underneath their wrist and with my right hand I will just go watch and I will tap just there 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 up their forearm at different points just about five little taps and as I do that I remove my fingers from under their wrist and they will keep their arm there now I then stop doing the tapping stuff. So I've moved my left hand away and I've now moved my right hand away and their arm is wherever I just put it. And I will say to them something along the lines of just note how your right, heart, right arm feels now stuck out there in comparison to the way the muscles feel in your other arm over there. And we get this sort of like sometimes just the eyes go from one side to the other and they're literally checking how the and sometimes you get them say things like or oh, it feels heavy or it feels light or it feels stuck and sometimes you get people say well it don't feel any different and i go so why is it still there and they go because you told me to put it there no i didn't and then i explained that all i said was give me your arm and all the time that I'm doing this, most of the time, their arm is still stuck there. Mm -hmm. They don't move it. The odd person at that point will just move it. But most people will continue to leave their arm out there. In which case, I've demonstrated that they're not in control, even though they think they are. So whatever might have happened in the previous part of the session... They wouldn't have understood it. And I explained what the way that I work is indirect permissive. Indirect means you don't know what I'm doing. Therefore, if you don't know what I'm doing, you can't resist. But if you did show me, uh, so you can't resist. So you're giving me your permission every step of the way. If I noticed that there was some resistance, then I come back and go around it in a different way. And normally these people are still stood there or sat there with their arms stuck out in the air. <laughs> And I will bring their attention back to it and say, when I touch your hand, it will just go back completely to normal and everything that we've done will be cemented in your brain. Tap and it's back to normal. And the hand normally just drops and becomes normal again. So you give people a very palpable experience, felt experience of uh, how and, and why you work. 
Yes. In that way. Yes. That's, that's really interesting. Yes. I, I think just very briefly, one of the mm. best experiences and uh, most rewarding experiences of doing this, uh, the stuff like this indirectly, um, was a young lad. His mother phoned me and said, oh, my son, blah, 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 blah. He's been, and it was an absolute nightmare. nightmare. He was, you know, getting violent, smashing things up, being an absolute pain in the ass. Um, and I said, OK, you can bring him along. I said, but I warn you now, I'm going to push his buttons because I need to know where his boundaries are, etc., etc." She went, fine, do what you like. Um, she sat there while I did all of this. Um, and he came in, he had his hoodie up, he had his hands in his pockets, scowling away, shoulders down, didn't want to be there at all. So we sat down and that's exactly how he, he sat basically all the time. So eventually the hands come out of the pocket and he went with the wide knees with his hands on his, on his thighs. Um, still mean and moody. So we chatted away for, oh, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes. And I basically said to him, whilst mother had seen everything that had gone on, I had not zonked him out in the way we were just talking. And I said to him, so you like to be in control then, do you? He went, yeah. I went, so you control your sister, you control your mother, you control, and you get violent. I mean, this guy had smashed up TVs, Playstations, you, you know, thousands of pounds worth of stuff he just smashed. I said, so you're in control, are you? Yeah. So I went, try and move your left hand off your thigh. And he tried. And he couldn't. And at that moment, the panic in his face, when he looked up at me, suddenly thinking, what the hell is going on here? And I went, you can't move it, can you? And confirmed it, embedded it even more. And he was like, suddenly petrified. I said, Who's in control now? And he went, you are. <laughs> I went, <"Okay." laughs> and at that moment, his world changed. And he, uh, there's a, uh, uh, I think there's a letter on my website from his mother saying something along the lines of, he was very quiet on the way home. However, blah, 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 blah. And it just totally and utterly changed the <laughs> everything in all their, their lives, you know, mum, dad, sister, everybody. And he was a good lad after that. <laughs> it's fantastic. It, it's, it's a lot of fun, a lot of fun to hear. Um, are there any books or things that are easily accessible that if someone wants to get good at change work, they can they can pick up, they can read, and you, you'd, you'd recommend, you know, two or three that are good starting places? Um, in terms of uh, hypnosis, the indirect permissive, then Ericsson's book that I mentioned, My Voice Will Go With You, is uh, a great book because I think it's about a hundred of his uh, sort of teaching stories and why he uses them, what's, you know, what the, the aim is behind them. Hmm. Um, obviously, my own in terms of body language, because, as I said, it, it tends to come at body language from a situational point of view rather than a body part point of view, as in if somebody does X, Y, Z, it means A, B, C. Mine is taken from the moment that you meet somebody because every interaction goes through a process of, you know, greeting, some form of meeting, whether that's over a coffee or, in, you know, in a work environment. Uh, you, you have you know, negotiations because we all, we're all negotiating with people all the time. People just don't realise it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and presentation techniques because again we're all presenting all the time because we want people to perceive us in a certain way at certain points um and so it tends to go through it in situations and then puts the body language into the situation of what you might see in that situation um you can apply it to your personal life you know your work life your therapy life whatever you like it, it's all there because body language is body language it is what it is um, and apart from that, I would recommend pretty much any of the uh, books by Brian Tracy. Um, he's one of my favorite um, motivational, inspirational speakers. Uh, he's an American, but he, I think he was actually born over here. Um, and his stuff is, is just solid. He's almost, I would go as far as to say, almost boring in the way he presents his material. 
but it smacks you between the eyes with so much information that you just have to watch it or listen to it. it well, that's the case for me. Might no, not be I, for everyone. <laughs> that's fantastic. And we'll put, we'll put all those recommendations and those references on the rapidchange.works website so people can find them easy to click through and, and, and find out exactly who you're talking about. Um, Robert, tell me, is there anything that, uh, when we talked about you coming on and talking about rapid change that you thought would be useful to mention but i just haven't asked directly no i think we've covered a fair you know gamut of how i use my uh, body language i haven't really tapped too much into uh, emotional freedom technique or nlp but they for me they were just bolt-ons to what i already understood in terms of people's body language which already gave me a quite a good insight into a lot of nlp and hypnotic processes um that were just documented you know when i started learning all these subjects it was like ah yeah that's why yeah yeah it was you know a realization more than a revelation sure no and, and i think that that's interesting and, and getting a flavor of the, of the way in which you work and certainly uh you've certainly given me um uh, a real curiosity to go out and, and start observing more closely and getting good at watching body language and playing around with what that means and and i love that idea as well of watching uh watching tv with the sound off and getting some theories around it and then watching it back and seeing how close so uh if people want to hear more about uh the work you're doing want to get in touch how can they do it where can they go my website is very simple it's just my name robert phipps which is p-h-i-p-p-s.com um there's the old websites there at the moment but i'm just in the process of upgrading it so over the next couple of weeks it will completely change um my contact details are on there you can there's links there to my book on amazon and i also sell a 10 dvd set which is called secrets of master communicators um i sell that on amazon and it's also available on my website as a download fantastic well again we will put all of those links uh, underneath the episode that goes out so people can uh, make it nice and easy for people to, to get the book uh, as well and buy the stuff and um, yeah thank you so much on behalf of our listeners uh, I hope they've enjoyed it as much as I have and uh, really appreciate your time today you're welcome Howard I've enjoyed it too I hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did why not share it with anyone you think might be interested and even head over to iTunes to give us a glowing review You'll find more about what's coming up on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash rapid change works. And of course, you'll find all the links related to this episode, plus those free five steps to getting your suggestions to sizzle over at rapidchange.works.